Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Monday. I'm Brian Scott Rippy, my co-conspirator on the other line, Colin Brister. That sound you heard was an intro that Ben made up for me. And I, this may be the quickest intro ever put on a podcast, ever. I'm not sure you could top such an intro. Uh, I got it done in two weeks. Uh, yeah, it uh, beats the, uh, what, like six months that we had at Rebel Report. So, so we're yeah. already looking better. Yeah, I, I can't take credit. I mean, I didn't actually do anything. I just, I, I promised a podcast and I, de- I had a podcast intro and I delivered. So I uh, hope everyone enjoyed that hard radio uh, style intro. But uh, it's an intro nonetheless. So still work on it. We've got, uh, got some editing breakthroughs. Got some uh, stuff done on the website earlier in the weekend. Rippy writes at substack.com as well. And got some sponsorship stuff in the works too. So a uh, productive weekend on the site. What's up, dude? Not much. Not much. I, I'm still here in Oxford out for spring break. Went, went to the baseball games this weekend. So, uh, yeah, not, not, not much. We'll get into all of that today. I didn't tease anything yet on the podcast, but obviously we're going to get into Ole Miss's Friday night loss at LSU and Nashville in basketball and the impending disappointment they experienced just a few hours ago at the time of this recording of not getting into the NCAA tournament. Ole Miss lost a baseball game today to ULM. Was able to win the series. It took a walk-off yesterday. We'll dive, uh, we'll dive all the way into uh, that as well as Ole Miss heads into SEC play. Let's uh let's start hoops. Why not? That seems more tough. Yeah. It's March. This is March. <laughs> yeah, all month long. All month long. <laughs> Excuse me. So John Rothstein, uh, pretty much just doesn't sleep. He sleeps in May. So uh, it's crazy how those sayings have taken off. By the way, God, he's a goober, but good on him. Yeah, no, I, I like Rothstein. I don't, you know, I mean, he's, he's kind of fun. Um, but yeah, uh, NCAA's tournament starts Thursday with the first four. The Ole Miss doesn't get in. Um, I'm not totally convinced then with a win on Friday, but it would have made it a lot more interesting. Um, I, I think they were in. I know the bracket changed after that, but Lenardi seemed pretty emphatic that had they beaten LSU, they were getting in the field. You, they wouldn't have, I think that win would have put them slightly above the whole res, resume cluster. It was basically just a resume crapshoot, for the lack of a better phrase, that happened between about – I guess seven, eight teams that I'm kind of thinking of uh, that yeah. Ole Miss was around. I think they would have gotten them in. I think it definitely would have. I think it would have put them a fray, slightly above the fray of that whole mess of about nine teams for four spots. Maybe. I, I just – I struggle to think that, you know, you have eight quad one wins and you compare it to Drake who, or you have eight quad one and two wins. You have, I think, three quad one is, is one more quad one win. Really that much of a difference? I mean, if you already have eight, uh, comparatively with quad one and two, that's that's where, like, I'm not totally sure that, you know, look, I I said this to some friends over the weekend, and obviously, look, I'm an Ole Miss fan. I had a tough time getting riled up about Ole Miss getting left out of the tournament, but I, I do think there is some merit to the fact that I thought Ole Miss's resume was a lot better than Drake's and a lot better than Wichita State's. And look, I, look Wichita State beat Ole Miss and Oxford, so I don't really give them much of an excuse. I thought the resume was better than UCLA's. Um, you have eight quad one and two wins. I thought they deserved to be in the tournament. Didn't upset me too much when this team had every opportunity to take care of that on its own and just to get it done. That was exactly where I fall as well. I, I guess my final point, like I guess kind of solidifying the argument that the LSU game would have made the difference. 
a loss technically improved Ole Miss's numbers, like the close loss to the quad one to yeah. cover all that math works. So not only would they have gotten – unless they just got the doors blown off them by Arkansas the next day, they would have had the LSU win and presumably a close-ish loss to Arkansas to improve their numbers. I think that would have made enough of a difference. I think they're in with a win. Maybe so. I just – you know, four teams this is, this is a decent high of teams to have to get over. But, I mean, we'll never know. Um, so, you know. Well, I have to say, man, that, that was tough on Friday night. I mean, especially for Devontae Shuler, everything he's done to just not have it on Friday night, to put it lightly. Yeah, I wish you did a pretty good job on him defensively. They're a tough matchup because the amount of length that they have on the perimeter as well. And Ole Miss didn't really have the speed to kind of go by you on the perimeter at all, kind of Shuler as well. I guess we'll just start with the game itself before we get into the season that was and kind of your, I guess, strong opinions or lack thereof on them getting in the NCAA tournament because I fall in the same category as you. It's kind of like, yeah. So that game last night – excuse me, last night, Friday night, played directly into their hands. I mean, the pace, the way they were yep. defending, LSU wasn't flying up the floor. LSU did not shoot the basketball particularly well. And Ole Miss got it to 58-58 with, what, about three and a half minutes left, somewhere around there. I can't remember uh, totally off the top of my head. But a pretty damn close there and just – we're not very good offensively for about the next seven trips down the floor after that. So, yeah. I, you know, they just kind of – to me, it's epitomized. They kind of just were what they were. Well, I said this to somebody I was watching the game with. Uh, had some friends come over for the second half. And there was just things in there. Like, uh, you come out of a timeout and you screw the double team. And, and I can't remember the kid that hits the open three and you just tie the game and now you're down three again. It's like there. this season was epitomized by that can't happen. And it kept happening over and over and over again for this team, whether it's a defensive mental lapse or just going stacked in on offense for five or six possessions in a row, which seemed to happen on, you know, from, you know, Jarkel Joyner plays out of his mind, but he just can't really in the second half. I mean, Romello White doesn't have a great after being pretty dominant in the first half. Um, you know, you just didn't really have any other presence outside of Joyner to be able to get it done in the second half on Friday night. And, that's why they're going to play in the NIT against Louisiana Tech on Friday night. I mean, it's, it's kind of that simple. I, you know, when you look back at this season, everybody – and I get it. Like, it's the most relevant and most recent. The, the NCAA tournament loss was was not lost on the floor in Nashville on Friday night. It, it was lost in Athens, Georgia, and Oxford, Mississippi when uh, Mississippi State comes in and punks you and you lose to Georgia, a bad Georgia team at home by eight points. I mean, it, that that's when the NCAA tournament bill was lost. Yeah, I agree. But kind of the way everything shaped up, I mean, it came down to, you know, you had 40 minutes basically to not make that not matter anymore. And like, yeah, sure. It's pretty good. It's about as good as you could hope. Like, I've, Wadford kind of squirmed out there more uh, for more than I think they would have liked. But it's almost pick your poison with this LSU team. Wadford, I'm just now looking at it again. Wadford scored 24 on, on 11 of 14 shooting. That'll hunt. Like, they were fine yeah. on days. Cam Thomas was okay. Like, I think the kid ended up with 18, but he missed 12 of the 17 shots that he took and had a couple of turnovers. So, like, Ole Miss did pretty well defensively. And I, I'm not – they did have some lapses and, and a couple of crucial ones late and some really, really brutal offensive rebounds. I think Ole Miss gave up 13 offensive rebounds yeah. in the game. That won't hunt. But overall, I still think it just came down to the fact that they were just really bad in half-court offense when it mattered the most. Those last three minutes kind of being – I mean, that's really kind of what they were all year. Like, when you had to absolutely have a basket, they just had a lot of possessions with a lot of uh, confusion. Like, it's not, that, it's not that, like, they're slinging it around and no one knows what's going on. They just don't know what to do and where to go 
in terms of like who to go through, I guess yeah, that doesn't no. make any sense. Uh, and, and what's alarming for me is, okay, you're going to lose your senior point guard. You're going to lose your best big man. How is, how is that getting rectified next year? Um, you're, you look, I think Duff is going to be one hell of a player, but you're going to put that on a freshman. Um, so that, that's what concerns me about this program going forward is uh, what exactly is going to fix that next year? Because, you know, a lot of people – I thought it was a valid concern was uh, people would say, you know, this team's going to lose Bree and Tyree and get better. And I thought, you know, that's actually a fair point. Uh, but they did. They were a better team, obviously, this year. But I, I think it's it's going to be hard right now to convince me that you, Devontae Shuler and Romello White, um, you know, and, and that they're going to be a much, much better team that next year than they were this year. I, I have a hard time believing that. I'd just like to see what they do in the transfer market and how they reshape rosters because I expect Darko Joyner to make uh, a jump next year. You saw it in the second half of this year. Hell, you saw it in this game. The kid, kid kind of got unconscious there for a while and carried them. In the second half, made a couple of ridiculous shots down the stretch to keep them into it. I'm not really worried about Matthew Morell. I mean, anyone you talk to who knows more basketball than me, I, like, namely you know, people around the program as well, I don't think they seem worried about him as well. Crowley, I would be concerned with. He had a worse season than I think any of them thought. So I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. I just think that I would like to see what they do in the transfer market because think about the this – this day last year, okay, that's not the greatest example because you know, the whole global pandemic thing. <laughs> but the where this team stood in in the SEC tournament, I guess, a year ago, that roster, what you knew you were losing at the time and how differently it looked by, say, June or something, you know. So, sure. there. so I'd like to see them reshape it and see what it looks like before making a determination. But, yeah, and I misspoke earlier. I said it got tied up at 58 with three minutes left. That was more toward midway point in the second half, seven. Yeah. What I was talking about is they went four – I guess what I was trying to articulate was that stretch that ensued from seven to three is where the game was lost because you tie it at 58 and you don't have another field goal until I think Romello White made a layup with like just under three minutes left. It was like 250, 240-something. Like you can't have that. I mean, hell, they were down, I guess, seven by the time that that happened. Like you just – that, that's tough. And that whole stretch of possessions, if you go back and watch it again, they're not good shots and there's a turnover, at least one turnover there, maybe a second. Morell had a turnover. Maybe that was the only one. I can't remember off the top of my head. No, Schuler had one towards the end of the game, um, down three. That, that was just awful. Well, so that, that happened next. That was the most important oh. possession of the season and he got his ball taken from him 20 feet from the basket. I mean, they actually absolutely had to have a basket there. And just that's a brutal time for a turnover. And I, I hate that's kind of the note yeah. that he goes out on. But I just think that stretch from about seven minutes to three minutes where they go without the field goal, there's some buffing free throws mixed in there again. The way they looked offensively on those possessions was was just brutal. I mean, I, I don't really even know how else to describe it. It was it was very bad and it just kind of epitomized. Is, is there any? Just with you – know, they get to the final minute, you – uh, Schuler makes kind of a crazy shot. They get it to one. Then they're down four because Darius Day's answered. You have to have a bucket, and Schuler turned it over 35 seconds left. It's to the situation that I've kind of talked about and used this as an example with this team a bunch. 40, or I guess you got the ball 50-something seconds left. You absolutely had to score there down four. The game's pretty much over, uh, barring, you know, a couple missed free throws if you don't. And they don't get a shot off, and Schuler gets stripped 20 feet from the rim. And that kind of just, to me, epitomized the, this team. 
Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, it's, it's it was just a bunch of that can't happen for this team. Um, and it's an unfortunate way to end the year. Um, you know, I, I thought, look, I, I don't want to be a revisionist history guy. I think anybody that you asked around the program that followed Ole Miss basketball or Ole Miss basketball fan expected this team to be in the tournament. Um, and that's not the case. And we get into, you know, the reasons that they're not or whatever, but it's a disappointing loss because you, you're uh, like you, I mean, most people said that if they win the game Friday night, they're in the tournament and you know, you just, you're not able to, and you're not able to meet what I think is probably a fair goal that that's his team. You know, I, I don't necessarily think it's, you know, bombastic failure that they're not in the tournament, but I do think that, uh, most people that follow this program expect them to be there this year, and then they're not. Um, you know, and it, it depends on how you look at things, right? Because, yeah, when this team is, what, three SEC, it's like, oh, I just hope they don't collapse on themselves. Well, from point forward, it's like, yeah, they played extremely well, but, you know, the three and six mark did happen too. So, I don't know. It's 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 a weird dynamic to how do you kind of view this view and what lens you view it through. It's a really complicated story. Like if you were this, yeah. team, if you wrote a book on this team, it would sell less than two copies. But you said you did. If you're trying to write the whole thing, you got to throw that in there. And then at the beginning of the year, they have like, I mean, this team. It was clear they didn't know their identity. They, I mean, you could maybe argue it even based off based off Friday night. They still didn't totally know it offensively, wow. even though it should have been obvious that number zero should have been fed and fed and fed and fed again, and that opening the floor. Uh, you know, whatever you have on the perimeter to maybe coax in a couple jump shots. But be that as it may, I guess what I'm trying to get at is it took them a while to find themselves. And they had that good stretch of basketball in February where they won four games in a row. And, hell, they won seven of nine to finish the year. Sure. Chemistry mattered. And it needed they needed those, you know, that normal Christmas practice where you're playing a couple teams you should kick the hell out of and really get better when there's no school after exams. They needed the, the – tough road test in the non-conference and you know they needed more time I guess and not only that not only did they not get a normal off I say off-season non-conference slate it was truncated they also had the whole COVID pause right before the season had to had to pause and miss their first what four games like and then you just go straight into the season and you're like oh basically by the way you got two and a half weeks to figure this out uh and then you're gonna start playing games that really matter that part sucked, and then they kind of get it back on track, but still there's a bunch of head-scratching losses in between. It's it's really hard to describe this team, and, like, so close but so far away at the same time. You, to your point, they probably should have made the NCAA tournament, but at the end of the day, like on Friday night, I was like, yeah, I'm not stunned they didn't. I was more surprised no. they were there in the first place in the conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like I said, I mean, it's on look, this is a normal year and, you know, COVID's not a thing. And I, oh God, wish we got wish that. Uh, you look at this roster, it's probably one that you think should be in the NCAA tournament. But if you looked at this team on, what, January the 28th after they lost to Georgia for the second time, it's like, I just hope this team finishes the season and don't, they don't all quit. Um, and, and to Kermit's credit, look, I've, I've been hard, hard on Kermit Davis because I don't think he did a really good job this year at all he did get his guys to continue to play hard. Um, and that, that does tell me something about you as a coach that his guys continue to play hard and they started winning a lot of games. Um, you know, you look back at that seven and two stretch play and it's like, yeah, that's really good. But the two just blow your mind away. Like those are the two. How did you manage to do that? Um, and I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, like you said, it's a really interesting and, and order, right? Because, 
not a lot of stuff made sense from this team. It's like you can go to Athens, Georgia, and just look lost, and also a month later go to Columbia, Missouri, win. I don't really understand. Maybe that maybe they just are the I don't understand team because there's a ton I don't understand about them, and I guess we're kind of bouncing around between the season and the LSU game, but I think that's fine. I think it was a game that was kind of reflective of the season, but in another sense, they were kind of it was kind of amazing that they were in that position even late in the game getting, what, seven points from three of 13 shooting on De- from Devontae Shuler. Yeah. And you saw it all season. When, when he sucked, they didn't have much of a chance. Now, 90% of the time, you didn't get 26 from Jarkel Joyner uh, and, and kind of remain in the game against a good team. Obviously, it proved it still wasn't quite enough. But generally, when he was bad and he had those three of 13 games from the field, Ole Miss lost. And yeah. what – this. I, this sounds unfair, and I'm not putting all the all of it on them. But the way this game was set up, we talked about it Thursday night. I wrote about it Friday morning in the newsletter. Ole Miss needed Sure to be as good as advertised, or excuse me, White to be as good as advertised. Uh, check Fox. He had 20 and 13. Good lord, probably a little bit underrated. 20 and 13, huh? Yeah, yeah. They and then they needed Jarkel Joiner or Matthew Morrell to have a really special game. They just needed that third scoring option. Uh, check Fox. They got it in spades. Jarkel Joyner, 9 to 25, 11 from three. How many players, Ole Miss players, made five threes in a game this year? I bet that would be the first time, just to guess. Maybe not. Yeah, unless Shuler went bozo sometime. And they had those games earlier in the year where they were playing, you know, Jack. I mean, they did, this team did score 90 against Jackson State, which watching this team offensively the rest of the year might be an indictment on Jackson State. Um, <laughs> but anyway, the third box they needed to check was Shuler had to be as good as advertised, and he wasn't. And that's kind of what. That's really just kind of what killed this team, um, honestly. And it's not fair. I'm not blaming the kid, but that's no. really how this game shook out. And also, you got five five points from your bitch. Good God. They played yes. – Morrell, Hunter, Allen, and Crowley played a combined 41 minutes, and you got five points out of them. Not great. Not great. Allen's defense, he had six rebounds, and that's what they've asked him to do, and he did it both games in Nashville. But Sure. Ooh. Yeah, not great. Um, I don't know. I, I just – it's tough to, to you know, they had their chances on Friday. They had their chances throughout the season. You just don't get it done, and that's why Louisiana Tech and you were going to play an NIT game on Friday at 6.30 while the baseball team's playing Auburn, and I don't know how many people are going to actually watch that game. I don't figure it's going to be a ton. Um, so – I don't know. I, it, it's to me kind of Friday night, like you said, and embodied the whole season just a little bit short. When the when things got tough, your offense goes to crap. Um, you're just not not able to get looks. Then you're not able to, frankly, get buckets from 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 guard play. Uh, when things kind of go haywire, so I don't know. I, it's it was a tough loss. I thought they had every opportunity to win the game, and it's one that I'm sure will sting for a little while. Yeah, I mean, uh, one half of this podcast may be in attendance, not only watching. <laughs> I got to see where it is. They're out by me. The whole deal's in the DFW area. I have no idea if they're allowing fans. I'm not going to I'm not gonna break my back to make that happen. But yeah, I wouldn't. Out, eh, okay. Yeah. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's a boniker for this team. I wouldn't go walk through a snowstorm to watch this team play, but if you handed me a couple of tickets, okay. I guess so, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be at Swayze Stadium or Swayze Field OU Stadium watching Gunnar Hoagland pitch. Well, that's a little further of a drive for me. Yeah, I don't have that in play. Yeah, fair enough. I'm gonna. So fast forward (laughs) to get to Sunday, 
know, their name wasn't called. I don't think that's a total shocker. You know, if, 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 I mean, they did have they're the fourth alternate. So four teams drop out. They, they technically earned a bid. So if you, if you want to try to Rudy Gobert this thing, I don't know. Go, go COVID go. Yeah. But no, I'm just kidding. In all seriousness, though, I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe I could see a team or two dropping out, but you get to four. Um, yeah. That would just be weird, honestly. So playing in the NIT, you're right. No, see, if, um, if I'm like a team that has COVID issues, no, we're not dropping out. I'll go play managers, and I'll go get some dudes out of out of the university. No, we're we're going to play our game, by God. Or you could be like Duke and have a walk-on get it and throw him under the bus and mention that it was a walk-on in the press release or whatever it was or whoever <laughs> leaked it. Uh, yeah, the coach K-Way. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just probably not happening. So their season will end at some point in the DFW area. But it's – I, I didn't think there was a screw job today. Ole Miss had a compelling case. No. Like, I didn't think they had it out for him. But I, I was at fine with this team not being an NCAA tournament team. I think they had opportunities to kind of prove that they were. Yes, the last nine-game stretch is very good. But after that Friday night, they had a chance to kind of seize their own fate. They didn't do it. They knew it was on the line. I, I had no problem with this team being left out of the field. No, I, and it's like I was telling somebody today, if I was on the committee, like, me was I was making the committee and I looked at Ole Miss's resume I would take their resume over uh, a Drake or a Wichita State or, or UCLA that doesn't mean that you got screwed or you got robbed though like that just means like when I look at Ole Miss's resume I think they're better than you know those resumes um, but I don't really have much of a you know vigilante defense or, or or I can't really put much you know emphasis behind it I don't think Ole Miss got screwed I think like I said if I were picking them I would probably have taken their resume but I wasn't um, and you know committee members value different things and when you put yourself in the situation that Ole Miss has put themselves in this year then you leave it in the hands of the committee and, and this is the result you get sometimes um, and frankly it's unfortunately been the result Ole Miss has gotten a lot of times in the NCAA bubble so I don't know I, I, I not like you said they, they didn't get screwed um, I saw a lot of people on, on the internet Ole Miss sports saying they got robbed no they didn't I mean it, if you, if you would have said, you know, you won the game on Friday night and then you don't get in, then I'll listen to you. Um, but, no, Ole Miss's resume was not good enough for you to say that they should have or deserve to be in it. It just wasn't the case. Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned at the top, and I used the example a couple of times, I'm sure thus talking, but I was talking to Bracken last week as well. Like, it was a chance to climb out of the pile of resumes that this weird, weak bubble in this strange season kind of created. <laughs> I mean, hell, it, it – if you need an article, like everyone loves to say the bubble is weak this year. I don't know the last time I've heard a strong bubble, even though there probably has been one in the last decade or so. But this year it really was the case. I mean, look at Ole Miss and how the conversation changed about what they needed to do and when they needed to do it before they even played a game this week. I mean, there yeah. was eight days ago, I don't think anyone would have thought that if Ole Miss beat South Carolina and that's all they did in Nashville, that they were even going to be close to the realistic in the conversation and eight, you know, eight days, eight short days later, you have, you know, some th- some that feel that they got screwed, which, you know, I don't think any rational person feels that way. But the fact that they were so close, the bubble was really weak, and it was a bunch of average teams with similar resumes. Ole Miss was probably deserving and should have been on the other side of the tent, but they weren't, and they had a chance to jump over themselves, and they didn't. Yeah, I mean, that's, I can't put any better than that. I mean, when you, it's like the. Uh, it's like when you just kind of screw off all semester and you have to make an 84 on your final to keep a scholarship. You make 82 and you pray your teacher rounds up. Uh, you left it in your you, 
you took the you know control out of your hands and put it in somebody else's. So it's kind of what Ole Miss did. And unfortunately for them, in this hyper uh, this analogy, the the teacher didn't round up. Yeah, it's a good analogy. The NCAA is not a bad person for not rounding up that sixty nine point eight. They're just yeah. not, we could maybe they take their jobs too seriously. Maybe they're just being uh you know there's at times like when you, I don't know if anyone's ever sat in their shoes and had to ask a teacher that. But there's times where it's like, come on. Like, I tried the last second half. Like, you feel like you have a good case. Ole Miss did have a good case. But they're not – the teacher's not bad for not rounding that puppy up. <laughs> there were some interesting resumes that got in. I mean, I understand Michigan State had, what, four of the – three of the best wins of anyone in the country. But it's 70 net. Yeah, I was going to say their net was 70. Like, well, UCLA getting in, okay. I mean, I'm not I, – I can't, like, hate that. But it, it's a little bit head-scratching. I mean, I'm – there's a couple other teams I probably would have put in over them. But, again, you had a chance to remove all doubt. They did remove all doubt. And uh, now you wait. And now uh, I would say offseason priority number one is get better offensively and get shooting. This team was a brutal three-point shooter. Find a guard that can make a three. I think I think they have one. I think Josh yeah, Joyner kind of proved that towards the end of the year. I don't know what to make of Morrell yet. I wonder how much Luis Rodriguez is – shooting would take a jump they needed another shooter this they had another wing shooter this year and you know, I don't know if they thought that was necessary Domencio Vaughn but the fact that that kid just couldn't really play at all really hurts I mean that's probably the one missed eval um, yeah I was gonna ask and look people when I criticize a coach or whatever think I want to fire him and I want to make very clear I don't think Kermit Davis should be fired that is absolutely insane um I, I do wonder how someone can watch Domencio Vaughn play at Ryder and then he gets here and he can't even get on the floor? Like, can someone please just explain how that thought process works or, or, or what you were looking at that thought that kid could play and then he gets here and he can't? Well, sometimes it just kind of happens. I mean, that's ultimately what these guys are judged on, right? Like evaluation, you know, guys that hit and guys that miss. And that was certainly a miss. I mean, how the, the kid made no impact. He wasn't even – he wasn't even there when the year ended. But – to be completely fair, at Ryder, decent program, and that league's not just, you know, complete Mickey Mouse. He averaged what? I think he was at, oh, 15, right at 15 points a game, yeah. had some rebounds, like was seemed to be pretty good defensively and seemed to be a pretty mature kid. It just didn't translate at all. Did he? I, I know they would never release this, but did, was he one of the COVID guys? What do you mean? Like, when they had that pause, I can't remember. Did he get it? Uh, I was told this, that – let's put it this way. I think everybody that was on scholarship sends two players at some point this year had COVID. So Yeah, not trying to make excuses for the kids, but you've seen countless examples, whether it be the NFL or the NBA. There's a couple guys in there kind of sprinkled in. Once they get it, it really kind of screws them up for a while, and it takes them a long time to get sure. back. Uh, you know, a 16-game stretch over two months as far as Vaughn, like that's certainly enough time to still be in the funk. I'm completely speculating. That's just a, a, a guess, a possibility, something to keep in mind. I don't know if that was the case. I don't know if he got it. I don't know if that affected him. I'm just throwing it out there because, to your point, it is a miffing, a miffing storyline. Like, what, what, what happened? Yeah, it's – my thing, and I'll, and I'll say one more, Mr. Val, and, and, and you may disagree with me here, but I can tell you that they really loved this kid and thought he was going to be extremely, extremely good. He never really plays much at all. He's here two years as Sean Robinson. Like, 
what happened there is my biggest question. I mean, they, they love that kid. They got him out of high school a year early to get him in his, their weight program. And a year later, the kid's transferring. Um, that one, that one's the one that, that that's baffled me. Yeah, and between him, like, I don't know if they necessarily were, like, counting. I don't know what they thought they'd get out of Robert Allen this year, but he ended up rebounding pretty well and playing a decent role for them. You know, I think part of that was some of it, at least with Sean not panning out at all. But in that role, they needed another they needed another scorer on the perimeter. Like, they didn't need another guy like that. Um, you know, granted, Hadim didn't end up working out, and there, there's a, quite a few different reasons. I would say for that, but like, uh-huh. yeah, you I mean to your to your point, like, yeah, I mean it was that that's strange, but I would just argue that you know the new guy that they needed to bring in was probably needed to be a shooter rather than a Robert Allen, but it's weird to say that because because of some of the stuff that happened to Robinson and elsewhere, they ended up kind of needing that a little bit. I would just argue they needed a shooter worse. Yeah, and I mean Crowley was not good this year. Uh, I don't know. It's Man, if they don't get somebody that can score consistently from the perimeter next year, it's it's got a good chance to be. Because look, I mean, I'll ask you. And almost plays. Let's let's skip ahead a little bit. Almost plays their first conference game next year. Who trots out as the starting point guard? Do you, do you think? Let me let me ask this. Do you think they try to go get one, or do you think they're comfortable starting Ruffin as a freshman as a, as the starting point guard? I think they're comfortable starting him. Okay. No, I don't. I, that's a I don't know I'm just that's a guess but that's a really good question because they are going to go after at least one guard in the transfer market but what is that a point guard I guess that's a good point it's gonna have to be unless you want to move Joiner to the one because who in God's name is gonna play the two yeah I think you can play Morell at the two he's got to get better but yeah I, you're right I again I this is not based on I mean obviously anything we've seen because I only see what you and the people listening see but. There doesn't seem to be a sentiment of, oh, this kid hasn't panned out yet. No, there's not. Like, there's none of that. There isn't a whole lot of shakiness or even uncertainty about him. I think he will be okay. And I think – He will. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I just think he, the uh, the bad start he got off to screwed with his confidence as well. Because at what point in th- that kid's basketball life yet had he ever struggled at anything? No, that, that's completely fair. Now, there are some that are there that have been there that they are worried about. Um so I'm interested to see who's on this team next year, because Crowley's on it. I don't know what else you like. What you better be damn sure that you're getting someone like that you can count on in return. I think Crowley's on the team next year. I think they just need him to be better, much better. He's got to be a lot better, or he can't be there. I mean, you signed what four kids? Yeah, four kids. You got to open up four spots. Well, Schuler's gone, White's gone, Demencio Vaughn's gone, Hadim C is gone. That's four spots. I would venture dude column, and I would venture um, – I'm missing – I would – yeah, dude column's gone, I would think. And I, I hate to I do that. But, yeah, I mean, so that, that opens up one transfer spot. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else uh, without having the roster in front of me. Oh, Sean Robinson's gone. So, yeah, I mean, that you've got two spots for grad transfers. If, if you want to add a third, um, somebody would have to go, and I – I don't know who that first person on the chopping block for, you know, would be, but uh, you've got two spots right now for transfers. I'm interested to see how many Kermit would like to add. Agreed. And who those people are. Cause I, I love this type of stuff. Cause I'm not like smart enough to know 
I don't know hoops on a grand enough scale, particularly college basketball, to know, okay, this guy's probably coming available. They're going to go target, you know, these couple guys. But it is – I one of my favorite things every offseason is watching – kind of trying to watch up on the dudes they do get in the transfer market and try to, I guess, get in the frame of mind and what they were thinking. As, and just overall seeing how they reshape the roster, I think that's fun. I would think I would argue Kermit Davis finds it less fun and maybe a little <laughs> bit more stressful. But I, I just – I'll say this, it, it better works. I uh... – I wonder about one kid that uh, – I look, I don't even know if this kid would want to leave. I just know that when he went to Memphis from uh, North Mississippi a few years ago, it was he thought he was going to be a one-and-done, and he will be in college next year as DJ Jeffries. I just Ooh. wonder if – I just wonder if would be interested because it's not really – I'm not saying it's not working out at Memphis. He's one of their better players. But Memphis doesn't exactly score the basketball real well. Um so, of course, neither does Ole Miss. But I just kind of wonder if he'd be interested in a change of scenery because if he is, that is one I would – if I'm Ole Miss, I'm doing everything I'm in my power to get. I hear, I'll give you another one. Can you think of one more? I mean, are you going to say Jamie Brakefield? Yes, I am. <laughs> what did he do this year at Duke? Did, did he play a bit or what was his role? I'll pull it up for you if you want to know his stats. Yeah, yeah I mean, I because I mean, someone talked to him the other day, and I was like, yeah, I mean, he'd be a great transfer, but if he didn't play a whole lot for this Duke team, is he really that good of a player? <laughs> he averaged twelve minutes a game. Okay. He averaged two and a half rebounds a game, um, about a half an assist, and his total points per game was oh, he averaged three and a half. So no, did not really play that much. That t- to your point. The Duke team did have some talented kids, though. I, I would, I would, I would contend that uh, he could play at Ole Miss. He probably could. Yeah, I mean, me, there we go, Kermit. Me and me and Brian have fixed your transfer issues. And but two, but kind of, I guess, piggybacking off of that before we get off of hoops, uh, neither one of them are going to bring the basketball off the court and score off the perimeter. No, they're not. Um, Jeffries is more of a of a combo guard. I mean, he's going to play the three, uh, bigger kid. So, no, he's, he's not going to play the one or two for you. Um, you need both, but there's a better fit. I would argue Jeffrey's probably a better fit for what they need. But uh, obviously, but you're also losing Romello White. So, I, I don't know. What the hell am I saying? They take both of them. But it, it's yeah, absolutely. I, I figure if DJ Jeffries and Jamin Brakefield called Kermit Davis and said, hey, we'd like to come to Ole Miss, he'd take them. I don't think he'd say no. It's a good point. Um, <laughs> and then just kind of one last thought. Uh, best of luck to Romello White and Devontae Shuler going pro. Um, yeah. I kind of find – Ramella White, the more and more I watch him, very intriguing. I wonder where he lands and how he lands there. Probably not getting drafted. Um, you know, they do the weird second-round deal in the NBA draft, too. But can he get in a camp? And then when he gets there, what can he do? I am, I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, he's going to have to play a little more without fouling. That was his big bugaboo on this. But, yeah, I mean, it's a, I think he's a kid. Look, Brian was playing in the G League before he got hurt. He was close to making a roster. I, I don't. I wouldn't be shocked if Melo White follows that same path. Well, when you play on the, you're allowed to. I I don't necessarily disagree, but uh, when you play on the, he probably doesn't think he fouls that much because the guy he's playing next to is KJ Buffett. <laughs> he's probably no. I'm good. Like this, <laughs> I got I got five, and damn it, I'm gonna use three of these because the guy next to me is a bat out of hell. <laughs> KJ just picking up five. Yeah, KJ like treats his fouls like he did uh, absences in college. He's like, no, I'm using them all. Every one of them. Dude, there are uh, there are some times in sophomore year 
where it was like, can, can he see? Does he know what's going on? But anyway, he was better for a lot of this year. I don't he want to was. tell for the kid. I'm just, he was. He fouled a lot. It's, it's funny, funny to watch. So his sophomore year, he would he would just legitimately get mad at people and foul them. He had yeah, and he had he had some quote one time early in the year because you remember that sophomore year he started off really fast. Like granted, this this happens to all this every year where somebody flashes for the first five games against you know Delaware Tech yeah. State. And it's like, ooh, like, I, I kind of like what I'm seeing here. And then he started struggling, and he got asked about the foul trouble one time. And he said something to the effect of, and he goes, just thinking dumb stuff. Sometimes I'll miss a shot and get mad. I got to go foul. I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> what like correlation and causation there, buddy. I butchered that, and I don't want to make him sound like, you know, he's on the moon or something. I'll go look up the video if we ever talk about this again. But it was something to where I kind of turned around and Neil or someone after that. I was like, I'm not picking up what he's putting down there as far as connecting the dots. I don't understand what one has to do with the other. It was it was baffling, but also kind of funny. Oh, <laughs> so I think that's as good a place as any to call it the basketball conversation. Um, sure. We can talk March Madness later in the week. I, I still want to dissect the bracket a little more. Um, I thought Alabama moving all the way up to the two line was quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um... Really good week for them. Wow. They're going to be miserable to deal with. Absolutely miserable. I'll tell you who else is going to be miserable to deal with. Um, how about the Mighty Tigers of LSU? Yeah. Who's their one seed? They're the, I just looked it up a second ago, and I already lost it because I'm an idiot. Oh, Michigan. Yeah. Well, it'll be a good year. They'll beat San Bonaventure, and then they'll go home. Don't necessarily disagree, but in March, when you have three kids that can kind of score it that well, and I believe Michigan's good. I think they they should be in the same conversation when you talk about Gonzaga, Baylor, and then is it Michigan? You know who I don't believe is in the Final Four this year? Who? Baylor. Okay. I don't hate that take. I just – they're, they're, they're not playing well right now. No, they're not. And they haven't really, like, played consistently well since the COVID pause. No, they haven't. I, I – I think Scott Drew's a really good coach, but I don't think I don't think this team's getting the Final Four. Yeah, agree. Which is a shame because I think normal year, fully healthy, if this team plays so much, yeah. somewhere, I would say yes, they do. But it, to your like, like you were saying, they haven't played well since the pause, and the pause happened, and it screwed up a lot of teams this year, and it, that would be a shame. But uh, but seriously, the LSU thought I think Michigan's better. I think they'll win. But would that be the eighth seed you wanted to face? Like, I, no, God, no, 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 no. Juan no. Howard's Give like, oh, great, we caught a break. I don't think so. No, no, give me Missouri as my eight seed. Yeah, no kidding. So that's uh, – I wouldn't want to necessarily seed them. I'd Michigan no. – tell you what, though, Baylor, that's a probably a good one. I know Baylor has a ton of size, and that would be kind of weird for LSU. But can you – like, I don't think – that would be that would be a dicey 1-8 if they were in Baylor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Who is Gonzaga's eight? Their eight is – here, I'll just pull it up. I had it up a second ago, and I don't really understand – why I decided to click off it. Oh, no, I didn't. I just have too many tabs up. Here we go. Um, Gonzaga's eight is Missouri. Uh, Missouri Oklahoma. Oklahoma. So they're, they're going to – they're going to walk to the Sweet 16, and I think they walk to the Final Four. Yeah, I agree. Virginia – like kind of the watered-down Virginia teams, they're four. I don't really love Iowa either. Um, they got them in their region too. Iowa already, healthy. Gonzaga's already popped Iowa once this year. Yeah, exactly. Um, granted, a long time ago. I'll tell you what the, the – Kansas is their three seed. Don't love Kansas. The two teams I would actually kind of most be worried about uh, in their region are the six, seven 
USC and Oregon because Oregon's played like a top three seed ever since they got fully healthy. That would be the most yeah. I'm worried about. And if you're if your biggest threats are a six and a seven in your region, you probably got a pretty good draw. Yeah, yeah they'll, they'll be in the final four. And I, if I made you pick a national champion today, who you pay, who you taking? Gonzaga. Yeah, I think so too. Um, Which would be a cool story. Finished here undefeated. But yeah, I think they're the best team pretty clearly. Okay. Give me another one that's not Gonzaga. I swear, I think I'm picking. I'll, I'll tell you who I'm picking. Go ahead. Yeah, but here's my thing. I don't know if these two teams play, uh, but I guess that would make it easier. Illinois. They look – dude, they're really fun to watch, and I think they're really – like Kofi Kofi Coburn is something, man. Yeah. Uh, so is DeSumo. Yeah. Um, the mask. Love the mask. Yeah, they're, uh, they're the last – they got the fourth one seed, I believe. Their region's not too terrible either, although I think Houston's really good. Um, yeah, they are. Them, I, and no one else in that region scares me. I mean, we're just going to do it, the, this conversation. Illinois, Drexel, Ch- Loyola, Chicago, that's kind of a de- devilish uh, eight, nine. Yeah, that's uh, a – Yeah, I don't – but I don't, I'm not really that worried about that. Tennessee is the uh, five. Oregon State is the 12. I skipped it. Georgia Tech is their nine. Good story, Josh Passer. don't think they're that good. Yeah. Oklahoma State, ooh, that's, that could be a dicey one. That would be a hell of a sweet 16 game. Kate Cunningham against Illinois. Wait, no. Oh, Sweet 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that yeah. would be – yeah. I love Cunningham. Uh, yeah, he's a hell of a lot of fun to watch. I don't get – you're already – I'm on the NBA podcast I listen to. You can tell the guys that don't watch college hoops and the guys that do because they're wanting to zag. And it's like, is Cade Cunningham really all we're cracked up to be? It's like, yes. Like, watch it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> watch any that game. dude's a horse. That's, a, that's always an interesting season. I'm looking at the top one with Baylor – UNC, Wisconsin, neither one of those eight, nine scares me at all. Um, Villanova with the injuries, uh, pass. Uh, Purdue is the four, pass. Texas Tech, I mean, they have a lot of dudes that have been there. I say a lot of dudes that have been there for. Chris Beard just seems like he has a bunch of 23-year-old grown-ass men that are built for March. Um, <laughs> Florida, eh, not really scaring me. Like they, Baylor got a pretty good draw as well. Who's yeah, maybe they did. Florida State and Florida State's in Michigan's region. Damn, Michigan got a tough, tough region. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like the dead. Jeez. And so they have. Ugh, this is awful. So they got LSU as their eight. Florida State as their four. Texas as their three. Uh, Alabama as their two. Ugh. Florida State as the four, and then there's one more that popped up. Oh, the seven is uh, UConn with Book Night. That's kind of a dumpy draw. <sighs> I mean, I guess the good news is you can't play all those teams. No, you can't, but the odds of facing a really good team uh, pretty high. is uh, is very, very much higher than, say, I don't know, Gonzaga's region. We just yeah, went ahead and did the NCAA tournament talk. Why the hell not? Yeah, we just not? went through all the regions. Who cares? This is March. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we get the NCAA tournament this year, even though it'll look a little bit different. We'll, uh, we'll do the Final Four. I'll probably do Final Four and all that stuff on Wednesday show once I really dive through the bracket. But that's a little taste of the glance. Let's get to baseball before we get out of here. The, uh, sure. The Mighty Rebels played uh, – I mean, for lack of a better way, played like shit on Sunday. Uh, lost, win two out of three. Um, I don't know where you want to start. There's a lot of places you can go with it. It's always oh. weird doing a series recap when you lose the Sunday game or when Which you lose the like, third of a doubleheader on Saturday is even weirder. Um, let's start with – why don't let's start with, quote-unquote, the issue on Sunday. Derek Diamond, not great, bad fourth inning, wasn't all his fault, but not great again. 
No, no, it was it was not great. Um, especially when the guy that pitched yesterday was really, really good. He was. Um, so, I don't know what they're going to do there, but it's real close to having become an issue. So, I don't know. Oh, yeah. And I don't think – and, look, I'm going to get attacked for this, and that's fine. But sometimes you just lose baseball games. Like, I don't think there's any – underlying issue as to Ole Miss isn't a great baseball team or Ole Miss isn't any good. Like, Derek Diamond wasn't good. They didn't really hit, and they lost. Like, I don't – maybe I'm just crazy, but I just kind of watched that game. Yeah, it pissed me off. It sucked. But, like, I didn't sit there and say, wow, this team can't win in the SEC. It's like, no, they just play like shit, and I got their ass kicked. It is what it is. I, I, I don't – I don't know. I, I Sunday didn't give me a whole bunch of concerns outside of ones I've already thought they – they had and that's a starting pitcher on Sunday issue yeah I agree but I I think or I have two one mega nuke take and two a uh a more tepid kind of theory on the fan base which would you like to hear first uh the the mega nuke take okay I'm gonna give you the opposite first because I want the mega nuke take to go second actually now that I'm talking about this so I don't even know why I gave you a pick The first theory is, you know, you talk about just losing a baseball game. And in the end, this doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that fans are whatever are upset or sure. questioning how good this team is after a early March loss to ULM. It just doesn't matter. It won't end up mattering. No one will end up remembering this series, no matter how this game, no matter how this season finishes or doesn't finish. But I think there's some of, if you want to call it melodramatics, whatever, there's some of this with every fan base naturally and just everyone um, that – follows any sort of college sport on a you know almost cult-like level anyway they they had their their last significant baseball was june of 2019 and they went on that run on the sec tournament where just having any realistic chance to advance the ncaa tournament not get in i'm talking about the hosting thing every game in hoover is life and death obviously regional supers speak for themselves then Ole miss comes in last year loses one game and wins 16 in a row it's all been so good for so long after ha- then have the opening weekend in Texas. Like, I think you've just forgotten what it feels like to struggle, and you're saying that, and they have yet to lose – I say yet to lose a series. You're talking about a series win, but I think that's part yeah. of it, don't you think? Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I never thought of it like that. That's fair. Um, yeah, and, and a lot of that is, like you said, I mean, you played the uh, life-or-death games in SEC tournament at the end of the year in 2019, and then you go on this run and everything. And I kind of – yeah, I mean – it's a really good point. You, you forget that sometimes, you know, kids struggle and, and, you know, you're playing a whole bunch of new kids, really. Um, when you talk about from the lens of, yeah, they were here last year, but they played 17 games. Um, they played 16 this year. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's completely fair. I mean, you're, Peyton Chattanooga's played, what, half his – and you think of him as a guy that's been here a while. Um, same with, really, Justin Bench. I mean, he, now he's not played the equivalent of really a full season. He's been at Ole Miss three years. So – yeah, I, I think that's fair that – I don't know. I, I just – I struggle to, to get some – because, like, a bunch of people text me today after the game. I was like, oh, what's Ole Miss's biggest issue? I was like, well, they just didn't show up. That's what. Like, I, I, I struggle to think this, though. I struggle to think that if they win on Friday and Saturday next week, that they won't show up on Sunday. Like, at some point, right, these kids are human, and getting up for a game against ULM – on Sunday just isn't the easiest thing to do anymore. Like, yeah, it's easy to get up for Texas on a Monday afternoon after you've won two games in a row. 
it's not as easy to get up for ULM on Sunday at 1.30 after you've just kicked their tail twice. Completely agree. And, again, it just kind of goes back to, you know, 2019 when people were – like the last taste of 2019 was obviously high leverage, huge games, literally life or death scenarios. Then you go into last year and everything went so right and you rode so high. Like, I mean, when's the last time – last time Ole Miss has struggled was that stretch we outlined in our first podcast where, you know, they kind of walked off the field after winning that finale at Tennessee. It's like, well, this team seems sunk. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it just kind of happens. I mean, hell, this is the week when I was on the beat. One, when I was a student in spring break, I didn't feel bad about, one, not covering it, and two, not having anyone to cover it. And then if I you – know, out once I got out covering it full time, like if I needed to kind of step away for a weekend or there's a weekend to be like, oh, I don't know about this Saturday game, this was kind of the weekend because then you kind of regroup and recharge for SEC play. It's hard to get up for it, like you mentioned. I mean, it was like – wasn't this like Princeton last year or two years ago? That was Princeton last year, yeah. Yeah, and then two years before that, it, like or three years maybe, they went to UAB in the middle of the week for like a two-gamer and played like yeah. crap and Mike chewed them a new one. Like it's just hard to stay motivated all the time, and I think that sometimes get lost. Not an excuse for them. They didn't play well. But, it, again, you, you just kind of lost. I mean, teams lose. Teams lose. Like it's just kind of the way it works. Yeah. Like, they articulate the point much better. I mean, you look around the league, like everybody's – like. LSU lost a series to Oral Roberts. Mississippi State has lost games to Kent State and Tulane. Um, I mean, it's just is what it is. Like, teams are going to lose games. Auburn loses to freaking Little Rock today. Florida lost a series to Miami and has lost to other questionable games. It's just, man, look, it's the nature of the sport. Um, if you want to ask me, like, hey, is the bullpen an issue? Yeah, I think there's some legitimate concerns about the bullpen, but – I think Max Trophy coming back. I think either Derek Diamond or, or Drew McDaniel going to the bullpen is going to be good. I don't think Taylor Broadway is going to suck like he did on Saturday. I think that was just a fluke. Um, I don't know. I I don't – look, when I look at this team, I, I think they're a top-10 team. Um, and we'll see what they do in SEC play, and that will determine if they're just a regional host or a national seed. But I have a tough time looking at this team and looking around the SEC and not thinking they're a top-10 team. Yep, agree as well. And then the good part of this was Drew McDaniel, quite good. So let's let's finish up the conversation. Would you move? Would you pull the trigger now before SEC play? Just say I, I give you Nikhil uh, back next weekend. Yeah, then I would. Um, yeah, absolutely would. I would put Drew McDaniel on Sunday if you know. Obviously, he's not. Then you leave it. You know, status quo from what you had Friday and Saturday. That you have know, Hogan on Friday, McDaniel on Saturday, Diamond on Sunday. But yeah, if if Nikhil is ready to go. On Saturday, I think I would make the change simply because, I mean, if you're – and, you know, I don't know if you know, you've read this, but Mike said that if, you know, Monacasey is ready to go, that Hoagland's still going to stay on Friday night because he's been the better pitcher. Well, if you're going to speak out of one side of your mouth and say, I'm going to put Hoagland on Friday night because he's been the better pitcher, well, how can you speak out of the other and leave Drew McDaniel off the weekend rotation and keep Derek Diamond on it? I agree. I did see, see that. and I, That was one of the notes I had written down to discuss in a second – uh, just thoughts on that as well. Like, I, I I like that move. I know you were kind of surprised with with it maybe a little bit. And I, I see your side of it, too. I don't think there's a wrong way to go about it. But I just think Gunnar Hoagland is the ace of this team. I think he's the best pitcher on the team, how he just struck out 14 more Warhawks on Friday night. I just kind of like the look of it. And do you think – you remember Doug was so damn good on Saturdays that he saved that 2019 team. He saved their season when he got put in the Saturday role. I just wonder, you know, second day, second, you know, 
I guess, seeing the lineup once from the bench or whatever you want to call it, seeing a game, not necessarily facing an ace on the other side. I wonder if you get a better version of Nikhazy going back to Saturday where he really kind of found himself and in, in, in began a, a, his ascent, I guess, for the lack That's of That's a really good point because, like, look, if you're Nikhazy, do you think you have to do too much that uh, on Friday nights versus a Kumar Rocker or versus, you know, a Tommy Mace at Florida or what, whatever it might be? Uh, whereas, you know, you don't really have the stuff to – to outlast those guys or outduel those guys. You just kind of have to compete and do your thing. Uh, that's a really good point. Whereas, you know, you're on Saturday, you're facing obviously guys that aren't going to be Friday night guys. My argument has never been that Gunnar Hoagland wasn't the ace of the staff. My argument has always been. You said been, that earlier than most. You said he was. Yeah. I, I knew I, that, yeah. My, my argument has been that maybe having your ace go on Saturday is not the worst thing strategically. Um, and I still think it's not. But I, I don't have much issue moving him up. It's just, you know. I would put my ace on Saturday just because, man, especially if I have a guy on Friday that I can think when, can win baseball games because, man, it's a nightmare going to bed on Friday night having to deal with Gunnar Hoagland on Saturday. That being said, it's hard for, like, right – and I think, you know, th- we don't consider stuff like this very often because we kind of just see things on our surface level. But it's hard for Mike to every day say, hey, you're going to come in, you're going to earn everything you get in this program. This is what our culture is built around. Nobody's entitled to anything. You earn everything you get and then leave your best pitcher on Saturday, right? Like, you, you, it, that kind of is speaking out of two sides of your mouth if you do that. If you say, you know, uh, we're going to leave our best pitcher on Saturday just strategically, but also you earn everything you get at this program. It's like, well, really? Um, so, I think maybe that has a little bit to do with it. But, I mean, look, Gunnar Hoagland's the, better pitcher, the best pitcher on the staff, one of the best pitchers in the country. I don't think you get drafted number five overall, which is what he's slated at right now by being, uh, you know, anything other than excellent. So, I don't know. I, I don't dislike the move. I, I just kind of was hoping they would leave him on Saturday because, frankly, I just wanted to see what it looked like. But, no, I, I, I don't think this was a shock by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I mean, there's two, I think there's two ways to go about it. I just don't know if there's a wrong one. And But you mentioned off the top if you're, if you're Doug, and he talked about it a little bit before about, like, when you're the ace of the program and the face of the pitching staff. I remember he talked about it before he became the ace last year. Your mindset does change. And he didn't explicitly say, yeah, I got to do more because the guys I'm facing are better. I don't even know if he explicitly thinks that if he didn't say it. But he did acknowledge the mindset's different. And he's also not wrong if he does think, oh, I got to do it a lot more because I'm going on Fridays against these guys. He's also not wrong for thinking that. He kind of does, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's not incorrect. And I just wonder if he kind of goes back to Saturday. I don't know how that changes his mindset. Hopefully he takes it in stride because I don't know if you can call it a demotion, but it it still may feel like one to him. Um, You know, who knows? I mean, maybe the injury is kind of the perfect way to – Massage it. Not the right word because he doesn't know. Massage it, yes. Perfect way to kind of make the transition a little smoother and just say, hey, we're just going to stick with this. Don't want to mess up Gunner and his Friday night deal. Uh, now, like, just kind of massage it. But I just wonder if you get a better version of Nikhazy out of it, and they would be a much better team if you got 2019 Saturday Nikhazy after Oakland. Yeah, look, I think, you know, we both agree with this. Doug is an extremely, extremely smart human being um, just from being around him. And, and you know, he, he's very aware of what's going on. I don't think – look, Doug, Doug Nikhazy is an extreme competitor and will give you everything he's got. I think Doug DeCasey also has eyes and can tell you that Gunnar Hoagland's probably the pitcher with the highest ceiling on this team. So I don't think he's going to be. It's not like, you know, when they did the stupid thing in 18 where they put Feigl over Rollison for a weekend, it's not like that. Like, 
you know, Gunnar Hoagland. I that happened. Yeah, it didn't go well. Um, not well at all. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think Doug's going to have much issue with this. I mean, at the end of the day, man, like, you're pitching on an SEC weekend in Swayze Stadium uh, again, or OU Stadium against really good teams. Like, does it matter if it's Friday or Saturday night? No, exactly. And he's a good – like you mentioned, he's – I'm not that any of them are bad kids, but there's some guys that pitch in a little more fire and brimstone mindset or almost kind sure. of psychos. Like, if you – now, this would never happen, but – if you tried to tell, uh, say, Drew Pomerantz, based off stories that he had to move days, uh, you'd probably need some cops around. No, him. no, no. Let me tell you what would happen if Mike Bianco told Drew Pomerantz that uh, he was going to move him from Friday night to Saturday. Drew would still just go out there on Friday night. He, there would be two pitchers on the mound. <laughs> you'd have to forcibly remove him to take him off. <laughs> there would have to be a security call. Um, yeah, exactly. Extreme example. But Doug Smart, like kid – He's, he's I think he'll take it fine. I don't even think it's that big of a deal. We keep talking about no, it's it's it. Like we just told him he's got to hang it up and then he can't play anymore. Or he's just <laughs> like got cut from the JV team. I don't think he's going to matter that much. I think you might end up getting the best version of yourself. So you say yes to pulling the trigger on Sunday. You don't go diamond one more time. I, I say yes. No, no. You didn't ask me what I think Mike will do. I I, Mike. See, I'm in the same boat. I think I would do, I would agree with you, but I, I, I don't know why, but I have this feeling. Maybe McDaniel pitching well enough sat, uh, Saturday changes it. But don't you think he might? Don't you think Mike runs it back one more time on a short? Do you remember in 2016 with? Do you remember Chad Smith? Yeah, how could I forget Chad Smith? What that guy's mechanics were so strange, but his fastball sometimes was like, oh, who is this cat? Do you remember when he was struggling and it was MacArthur was pitching really, really well in the midweek? They were playing LSU for a weekend. And they didn't pitch MacArthur in the midweek, and they didn't pitch him on Friday or Saturday night. And they gave uh, Chad Smith – I think it was LSU. It may have been – I can't remember who it was. Um, but they didn't give Chad Smith any leash. Like, he gave up three hits in, like, the first inning and a third, and he was done. I think that might be what Sunday looks like. Like, McDaniel doesn't throw against Louisiana Tech, obviously, because he went on Saturday. He doesn't throw on Friday and Saturday. And, Buddy Diamond, if you have four runners through the first, you know, six hitters – you may have to come grab a seat. Yeah, and then how did – that's a good point because I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it like that and I also hadn't thought about uh, Chad Smith in, in quite some time. <laughs> when, did, uh, when did they uh, – kind of a more recent example, I think it was, was it two or three starts before they did it with Zach Phillips? Remember, Phillips uh, opened the year of the 2019 as the Saturday guy. Yeah, it was um, – he got one SEC start. And it went really poorly against Alabama. And then Doug took the ball on Saturday at Missouri that next week. That's right. And was very good. Um, yeah. Probably not a perfect example because I would argue Zach Phillips made it a much easier decision. He did. kid came back and played a role at the end of the year. I don't mean to, like, trash the kid. But he struggled a lot worse, and it was a lot easier decision. And that one, honestly, you could make an argument was was long overdue. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I. I, I think that – Man, you're doing – all right, so here's the thing with me. Drew McDaniel does not need to pitch midweek baseball games. Like, he, I think you're doing a disservice to your team, right? Like, if he's starting and giving you six innings on Tuesday night and all he can do is give you maybe an inning over the weekend, like, I feel like at some point that's a disservice to your team. So, where do you insert him? I don't know. But, um, man, it's, it's really tough for me after watching both of those guys pitch in person on Saturday and Sunday to – to think that Drew McDaniel doesn't need to start on, on weekends at this point. And we're arguing this as if Doug is back. What happens if Doug isn't back? 
And well, that, that, that makes the decision easy. Well, so, yeah, sorry. That was a bad way to frame this. What, I guess the point I'm not point I was trying to make, question or theory I'm posing. So obviously Mike didn't provide much of an update after the game today. He said, you know, that's kind of the thing with this, with this uh, injury. It's just really hard to tell. Like he's going to have to see him throw his bullpen and then just see how it feels. There's really – you have to ask the question. I'm not knocking that. But there was really not much of an update to be had uh, on Doug today. Would you say that's fair? Sure, sure. He's got to throw again. So anyway. Let me ask you this. Is there any chance he starts one of these midweek games, Doug? just to see if he's ready? Like an inning? Yeah. Maybe. I, I don't hate the idea, but if it's just a health thing, you know what Nikhazy is. Like, does it, is it that much of a difference if it's live hitting or a bullpen? Well, no. I just – I think if I'm making the decision, I want to see what it looks like against guys with aluminum sticks up there rather than a bullpen. Fair enough. I just think they probably look at it as, uh, you know, he throws 25 pitches. Does that feel okay? Sweet. Yes. We're good. I mean, because there's a world – I mean, I guess – I mean, you know, if he's throwing them outside of the bullpen and, you know, maybe the dinging kids or the stands in the uh, in the right field or wherever their <laughs> bullpen is now, uh, okay, maybe so. But I just think if it if it looks decent, I think that's their main concern. But I don't hate that idea either. <laughs> what I was going to pose was this. If Doug can't go and McDaniels on Saturday again – I mean, right, if he pitches remotely well, does it even matter what Diamond does when Doug – like, the next day? No. Like, you're asking, does it matter what it, what it happens um, when, when Doug, Doug comes, comes back? back? Yeah, so, like, if uh, McDaniel pitches well again, does it matter what happens when Doug comes back? Like, I mean, outside of, outside of him throwing, you know, eight innings and giving up two hits, no. I, I, would, I would think at that point, like, look, if McDaniel goes out there on Saturday – uh, next week and goes, you know, six and two-thirds, gives up four hits and one run. Like, no, nah, he's just in the rotation at that point. Um, again, outside of just something absurd by Derek Diamond. I don't know. It's a good problem to have. Like, look at, and here's the thing. It's like, all right, yeah, you're going to replace Derek Diamond, but it's not – and I'm necessarily, you know, saying that they should. I'm just – I'm saying I would. Um, my thing is, like, Derek Diamond's still an SEC pitcher. He's still he's still going to get people out in the SEC. It's not like he's been a complete disaster out there. It's just you know he wasn't good against UCF, wasn't good against Belmont. He wasn't good today. Um, so at some point, if you have somebody you have better option that, that you could throw out there, it's probably wise to do that. But I still think you know watching that kid pitch that he's going to be a factor on this team. Was getting them to the postseason, getting them into the NCAA tournament, hosting regionals, hoping hosting super regionals. Like this isn't the kid where you talk about Zach Phillips where. You know, he comes out of the rotation and he just doesn't. He's not heard from for a few weeks. No, like Derek Diamond's way, way too talented for that. He will have a role on this team one way or the other. The last thing I'll ask, and that was kind of my next question before we move on to something else, but like, how does he project out of the pin in your mind? Because I agree. I mean, like, and I've said this, I've made this point so many times over the years. When you get to the postseason, having a four starter is such a gigantic advantage. Um, even just having – I mean, even if you don't end up using him, just a long relief guy. But having a fourth guy you trust to go out there and be a, like, legitimate starter for you is a really, really nice luxury piece. It's kind of what they had at Zach Phillips at the end of 2019, although I would argue I still didn't – wouldn't have totally trusted Phillips in, you know, game four of a regional or something. But be that as it may, it was it, he's a better version of that at worst. But how did – in your mind, how does he project out of the pen? Because sometimes you make these moves – and guys don't just project at all, and I believe Chad Smith's a good example of that. Well, 
all right, so you have a Sunday starter that throws 92 to 94 miles an hour as a starter. Um, think about what that looks like as a bullpen guy. Probably closer to 95 to 96. Looks like a closure to me. But, you know, I'm, Mike's forgot more baseball than I'll ever know. But if you had to make that move, then uh, looks like a guy that I would really, really be excited about giving the ball in a late inning situation if he can throw 95 to 90 miles an hour. Agreed. Outside of that, what uh, any what else? Uh, the uh, good Tim Elko continues to rake. What he had, uh, what he, I can't even read my own handwriting. But I think didn't he have multiple? No, he had one hit in one of the games. Anyway, he raked, hit a grand slam Friday night, had the team's first RBIs. The home run he hit today uh, rivaled that Memphis home run that I referenced that we had someone. Four hundred and four feet, my butt. There's no way. Yeah, I oh I didn't know that's what it was. I would say probably they said four hundred four feet. I, they like. That's a uh, that's a long way out there, and the way he hit it. So, I, I I don't disagree. I was I was interested to see Keith Kessinger, who sees so many, he's seen so many games in that place. Say that's about as far as you'll see one hit. It was in that neighborhood, um, but I can think of two that were in that range as well. I was just kind of surprised at, at that. Uh, I don't even know what I'm saying. He did crush that. Um, but seeing guys like him, and I mean Chase tweeted like, "My God!" like type of thing. Guys that have been there that long and have seen way more games that stadium respect yeah that's about as far as it goes um i guess i agree it, it i mean he crushed he knocked the shit out of it i don't know what i'm saying yeah um kevin graham was really good this weekend which is a great sign obviously the walk off on saturday uh at one point this weekend it was hitting 800 so yeah i mean look whole mess is not going anywhere if kevin graham's not good so he's he's well over 300 as far as batting average i don't really give a shit about batting average but i mean he's got like a 940 950 ops now um yeah, he was really good this weekend, and Ole Miss needs him to continue to be good if they're going to be the team that they think they should be and most people that follow him think they should be. He's 8 of 11 with a couple walks. That'll play. Yeah, that'll hunt. Um, yeah. <laughs> that'll, that'll get the job done. He So, he has the walk-off. Um, I think he had another – what, he had – he's had like four or five home runs in the last six games, something along those yeah. lines. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he, he hit one Friday night, I'm pretty sure. So the question with him, do you, like it seems like Mike trusts him against anyone now. It's not just yeah. the whole yeah, and it was lefties thing. Yeah, one of the home runs was against the lefty. So and he hit one against Belmont against the lefty. So yeah, no, he's going to play every day. Um, that's a big. That's a big big deal for this team, and particularly oh, the final lineup. That's huge. He's been great. Absolutely. Um, Hayden Leatherwood had an okay weekend. I thought. Look, Ben Van Cleve has three hits on Sunday. I've, one of the few positives from Sunday, um, Kale Baker continues to struggle. Look, and, and, and I get it. Um, look, eight spots, and I think, in Ole Miss's lineup are pretty solidified. I think they're going to give Ben Van Cleve time to figure it out because I think they believe in Ben Van Cleve, and I believe in Ben Van Cleve. Um, that that ninth spot with Kale Baker and Calvin Harris and T.J. McCants just kind of running through it, man, that, that one's – that one's in the trailer floor. Uh, that one's kind of just struggling right now. So they're probably going to just keep rotating guys through that. Hopefully, hopefully something sticks for them because nobody's really producing in that spot right now. Would agree. So I, I guess that kind of leads into the conversation. What did you think of the lineup of, of Kevin Graham at first and Leatherwood in the outfield along with what it went Leatherwood bench and who am I? McCants. McCants. That's right. What did you think of that? Uh, it was fine. Um, I mean, but it's just like, look, I don't think McCants is a great outfielder just simply because I don't think he's played it, um, you know, long enough to be a good outfielder. Um, he did make a decent play on Saturday. I will give him that. But the thing is, like, all right, he's got a hit. 
Otherwise, just play your best defensive lineup, and that's what Trey LaFleur at first base, I think. Um, other, you know, I mean, outside of that, if you're looking, if you're not going to get any production out of that lineup, then frankly, if you want me to be completely honest, if you're getting nothing out of that spot in the lineup, just throw John Rice Plumley in center field and move bench to left, and now you've got a pretty good outfield defense. Because at that point, you just get what you can from a defensive standpoint if you're getting nothing from an offensive standpoint. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, there, there's no production in that spot. And, and at some point, you just have to say the hell with it. I'll at least get the defensive production. I don't think that point has arrived. Uh, but I don't think we're, you know, too far off from it either. Team, team leader in OPS, John Rice, Plumley to you. I don't know if that if that still happened. I mean, if that's still holding. I haven't looked at the stat book from this weekend <laughs> for the year. But, I, no, I, that's an interesting point you make. Like, at, certain, at a certain point, if none of LaFleur, uh, McCant, or Baker is hitting, do you just say to hell with it, whatever, it's a whole um, – because if it, if it remains that bad, um, like, I guess what I'm, I guess if it remains that bad, like is John Rice Plumley, he's definitely going to give you a defensive boost. Is it any, like, is he going to hit that much less than either one? No, of them? he's like, not. It's not even it's, any drop off. No, it's to the point where it's almost impossible. Um, I get McCants is hitting 250. Look, if you watch those at bats, you understand like that. That's not what he's doing. He's not going to play in the SEC unless he gets a hell of a lot better, which he can quickly. The kid's extremely athletic and extremely gifted. Um, and I love watching him play. But right now he's behind fastballs that he simply cannot be behind. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm saying. At some point, you're running out of options. Like there's one more option that I think they would eventually try. And he starts on Friday night on the mound before they just said, screw it. Um, that would be awesome. I Look, I don't have any intel on this. I think they would try that before they just sacrificed it as a whole. Because um, Kid can right now. But, you know, he's your Friday night starter. If he gets hit in the forearm, everybody's fired. Gunner, Gunner got uh... – Gunner, we Mike got asked this question beginning in 19, and his answer was, Gunner, I think, will eventually hit. He will not hit this year, talking about the yeah. 2019 season. Well, how many years well, have left? He's got no, he's, he doesn't have any years left. He's got about .33 years left in an Ole Miss uniform. Exactly. So, you know, either he hits or I get to call my, Mike Bianco to Zoom and be like, you remember when you lied to the people in 2019? He didn't take one freaking at bat here, Mike. <laughs> that's right. That's interesting. I, that is kind of fascinating to see how this, uh, how that will play out. Offensively, I didn't think it was a bad weekend for them at all. No. I mean, if you're getting those kind of, if, if 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 Tim Elko is this version of Tim Elko, or at least a, like three fourths of it at SEC play, uh, that's a huge checkbox. And then if sure. you're this kind of production consistently from Bench, who I know didn't have a great weekend, but really was good for two weeks and kind of stabilized the lineup and out without Chatagnier. And Kevin Graham, lineup will be fine, like hole or not, no hole. Um, it was just kind of the shoddy play in the bullpen, I think, that was probably concerning this week. Well, so when you have an offense, and I think we both agree, almost his offense is predicated on extra base hits and running the ball wait, out of the ballpark. Wait. Actually, finish your point. Sorry, I forgot my nuclear take. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, you go. Since they don't bunt anymore, they don't practice. They don't bunt in practice. They don't practice just bunt defense. Banned it from the program. So they don't practice bunt defense because they don't bunt. That would require them to bunt I, in practice. I had, I had one guy get mad at me on Twitter. I was like, what do you think about a team, Ole Miss losing to a team that bunts? I was like, I don't know. Learn how to defend a bunt. You probably wouldn't. Um, but, yeah. 
that 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 that's that's scorched earth right there. Yeah. So, but you're, but I wonder, I wonder if that happened. I wonder if that when that guy laid, those two guys laid down the you bunch, they, they're like, wait, what is this? Is he out? Are they allowed? Is he? Is that allowed? You know, the watching Ole Miss defend first and third defense. I don't think that was it. I think that they just were mental screw ups. Because good God, but watching them defend first and third steals, uh, something that we run with our junior high kids, um, that was painful. They screwed that up three times this weekend, and, and that that's not any good. Yeah, they did. I mean, that was just kind of what led to kind of the game getting away from them today. And, again, it uh, it happens. Uh, you know, Saturday game, Taylor Broadway, not, uh, not great. Not great. Um, I, I don't know what that is. I think – I mean, some of it's just baseball. It's a bad outing. He kind of had a tough outing, second one in two days, Sunday against Belmont. Um. I don't know. Could I see that I'm happen not, two more times before getting too concerned? Yeah, I'm not worried about Broadway, especially the one against Belmont where, he, you know, they ran him into the ground on Saturday. And I'm not blaming Mike for bringing it back. He had to, but he didn't have much left. Now, yeah, this Saturday, not a great outing. That happens. It's baseball, like you said. I mean, he just didn't have it. No, I'm not concerned about Taylor Broadway. Uh, what I was going to say about the offense is I think we can both agree that, you know, this offense is predicated around extra base hits and home runs. Well, that sometimes leaves you success, susceptible to a bad day. Like, yeah, they scored three runs a day, all on home runs. And that's what's going to happen when your offense is predicated around driving the ball out of the ballpark. Some days it's just not going to happen. And then some days you're going to put up 10 in a game that Kumar Rocker pitches. You're going to look up and say, what the hell? That That's just kind of – it feels like it's a team that, you know, you live on – shooting a whole bunch of threes well some days they're not just just not going to go in and and that kind of felt like what sunday was yeah agreed um big daniel was quite good five strikeouts didn't walk anyone he was uh as good as advertised the stuff is uh the stuff is very electric it's electric yeah yeah and the whole thing was is he probably walked a few more people than you would like coming in but was had a about as good a handle as your command as you could possibly have he was he was fantastic yeah, yeah, he. Well, I mean, people forget now. He was a he was a really, really highly related or rated kid coming out of high school that struggled last year to throw strikes and look. That stuff's always been there. Um, yeah, I, I I really like that kid, and he's gonna be in the rotation pretty soon. Um, whether that's this year, or if you know Diamond doesn't figure it out, or it's next year as a Friday or Saturday guy, he he will be in Ole Miss's rotation before he leaves here. Of that, I am certain. How many times do you think Austin Miller's pitched this season? I mean, I could figure it out. Went through all the games, but I don't know, five, four or five. Four. Do you find that low? He hasn't a lot of run. Um, no, I mean, once a weekend. I presume once a weekend. No, that feels about right to me. I'm trying to think. That's one. I guess that is once a weekend. I don't know. I just – I'm looking at the appearances stats, and I don't know. He's been their best reliever, one of their one of their best reliever. I'd say top, I me mean, top two. I was, uh, I just, I guess I'm surprised you haven't seen him twice on a weekend yet, because I do know there's 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 instances where they could have needed him. I just wonder, uh, I wonder if that's caution or what. I don't know. I just found that. A yeah, little no, that that's fair that he has gone twice a weekend. Frankly, though, Broadway's the only one that has gone twice a weekend, unless I'm missing somebody. Um, which that's good. Mike's not running people into the ground. Um, has Kimbrell because he leads the team with six he's going in some midweeks okay um, he, he pitched against Texas Tech uh, no Texas TCU 
No, I don't. And he, no, he, I don't think he's going twice in a weekend. Um, no, but I'll tell you who I'm impressed with. And look, I've, I've been high on this kid since he ever put on all this uniform is Brandon Johnson. He goes 1.2 scoreless today. Uh, gives up a hit. I, I thought he was really good. He's got a 93, 95 mile an hour fastball, had a pretty good slider. I don't think he's a guy that you for very long. I think he's a guy that, you know, one inning can come in and get it done. Um, unfortunately, Forsyth has a pretty, I'm not going to say rough, but it wasn't a great outing on Friday night, a pretty low leverage situation. I don't know. Um, that one's going to take some time to get some confidence back. I don't think you can really trust him in a big situation right now. Brandon Johnson, one run allowed this year. It was unearned. He scattered, I think, like, like it's five hits. He just looked up in front of me, struck out five and only walked one. That's uh, not too shabby. No, no. I, I think that kid's going to be somebody they rely on in SEC play. Uh, you know, his, his stuff's good, and, and he's been pretty good so far. So, as they weighed in, they, first of all, they got a brutal week ahead. The whole Having the Louisiana Tech uh, kind of lead you into conference play, this version of the Louisiana Tech, very good team. That uh, that sucks. Not easy, especially when, you know, your midweek guy just went on Saturday. and you got to make it through 18 innings down there. And, look, I don't know this, but and, – and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure Ole Miss has to take a day off each week, um, which means they can't travel on Monday because I don't think travel or, or counts for a day off, which means they're going to have to leave Tuesday morning, if I'm correct, to go down – play, drive a bus five hours and go play on Tuesday afternoon. It's not going to be real fun. You're going to have to be real tough to win on Tuesday afternoon because that's if that's correct and you're leaving Tuesday morning to have to go down there, that is not a fun experience. No, and it's a long drive. I mean, a really long Oops. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they can leave on Monday. But with them being in school, and I, I, I think there's a decent chance they may have to leave Tuesday morning and, and go down there and play on up after a long bus ride. I hope I'm wrong on that. We'll obviously try to get on Friday about this, but Ole Miss plays five baseball games this week. What's their record at this time next uh, next week? Their record in these five games? Yeah. Three and two. Um, I think they lose one at Louisiana Tech, and I think they go two and one against Auburn. I agree. I kind of wanted to go two and three, but I'm not feeling that negative. Um, no. I don't know. If the Casey's back, I would definitely feel a hell of a lot better about three and two. But uh, – Anything else stick out from the weekend? I don't feel like we – I mean, they didn't play well. You know, Kevin Graham kind of saved them from a series off. That's the weirdest part about – like, yeah, okay, don't panic. Kind of the – this just happens in baseball. But, man, they're two walk-offs away from uh, being swept by UCF in a series loss here. <laughs> yeah, they are. But, you know, I mean, a lot goes into that too, right? Like, Taylor Broadway blows a save. Um, I don't think that's going to be something that's commonplace among this team. So, I don't know. I, I, I think they're fine. Um, but you're right. I mean, you, you, if you don't walk off ULM and you don't walk off UCF, you, you get swept and lose a series. And, man, how the perspective on this team would have changed if that would have took place. ULM, horrendous uniforms. Those are not great. There is a cause or some reason they were memory of someone or something. So, I'll, I'll hold off. But, yeah, weren't, weren't visually appealing. I don't mean just today. I, I think all weekend. <laughs> I think they should be burned and, and started up. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I can't. Can't really disagree. It's a tough color scheme, but uh, figure it out. You could. It's not that hard to find decent. Do better than that. Uniforms, and it was it was an eyesore. So <laughs> it was good to see Chad Ye back when he had three hits in his first game back. He seemed to. Yeah, okay. yeah he was good. He was good. He was good to fill. Yeah, you just kind of wanted to because those kind of injuries are can linger. So just kind of seeing him at a hundred percent. 
And, uh, you know, confidence-wise, they look a little bit different defensively, particularly with him. At hey, I, today was the first game that Peyton shot in the A since Louisville had played in and lost. That's been a long time. That is a good point. That is a, that is a long time. It was his uh, college debut was the last time he lost a game he played in. Yeah, yeah. How about that? Yeah, I, uh, I'm sure that – I don't know. I don't think he would talk as fast if you asked him after, uh, after a loss. But. Did you see what Clem said about him? But they had to get him back on the field because he was annoying the hell out of him. I wanted to use that as evidence as my he's faster than he looks because he talks – or he's fast – I think he's faster than he is because he talks fast. Thing. I wanted to use that as evidence. I did. That was funny. <laughs> that was great. Clem's awesome. Um, so, that was uh, that was just about everything I had notes-wise from the weekend. Graham, really good. They just kind of stunk it up on Sunday. Uh, energy Sunday, uh, no moss, Mike. There was not a whole lot of energy, but that's – <laughs> it happens. I don't think I don't think you can take a ton from it other than the uh everything we discussed with the third starter rule. Yep, yep. Uh real quick and some smaller sports softball is taking two from Mississippi State. Uh the women find out if they get in tomorrow or not. I would lean that they probably don't. Damn, so. two two tough selections Sundays and Mondays. Yeah. Oh, the NCAA tournament, the uh first four is on Thursday. We're now gonna get a Friday, Saturday second round. Thoughts on that. Sunday, Monday, yeah. the round of thirty two. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Sunday, Monday, imagine, you know, maybe being a teacher uh, with Monday with trips going to the Sweet 16 on the line. Right? But not going to be a whole lot of adverb learning in Coach Brister's room on Monday. Yeah. They, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to complain. I'm glad we had the NCAA tournament back in life. But just when it gets to Thursday and we only have the first four games, instead of turning it on at 11 and it not coming off yeah. four more days, kind of a bummer. But all we're doing is waiting a day. I just don't think Monday will be the same because I'm going to be at work. Yeah, yeah, of course. But, like, on Thursday and Friday, though, like, you're supposed to be at work, too. So, when the normal NCAA tournament's off. True. That is true. But, like, it's like Thursday, Friday, you're at the end of the week. Production's winding down anyway. Sure. Now you have an excuse not to do anything. To where I'm just not sure that's going to jive with uh, with most bosses on a Monday. On Monday, yeah. yeah fair <laughs> enough. That's a good point. I, uh, but I found that interesting. We'll, we'll get out of here, though. I think that's everything we uh, covered. I appreciate everyone listening. Uh, how about the intro? I may play it again on the way out just for the hell of it. may play the there intro. There you go. As the outro, because this is a free country, I can do whatever I want. I uh, I appreciate everyone uh, listening. We'll be back at it. I'll have something on Wednesday, probably NCAA tournament related. We'll uh, we'll come up with something. I hadn't fully gotten it. We got some sponsorship stuff that's going to kick in this week that I'm pretty excited about. Um, so some exciting stuff on the horizon. Colin will be back with me Friday when Purdue Ole Miss's SEC uh, opening series against Auburn. Uh, if you like what you heard today, like and subscribe rate and review i appreciate everyone listening sign up for the newsletter uh appreciate it dude thanks for uh thanks for coming in coming on again absolutely bro no problem all right well everyone have a safe and happy monday i appreciate you guys listening rate and review sign up for rippy rights one more time uh as a reminder and we will catch you guys on wednesday